Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Projects like these demonstrate that our tech talent no longer has to look elsewhere to pursue their careers. We want them staying right here in Ontario, and we're bringing the jobs to them. Ontario has the talent, the skills, the drive, and today's announcement shows... That's Ontario Premier Doug Ford earlier this week. He's talking about a plan by Facebook parent company, Meta, to bring 2,500 high-paying jobs to Canada and launch a new engineering hub in Toronto. Meta is just one of the many U.S. tech giants, like Google, Pinterest, and Apple, that are setting up shop here in Canada. The tech landscape across the country is booming. It's great news for software engineers and computer programmers, but for Canadian tech companies, it's a problem. Today on the show, we have Globe Technology reporter Josh O'Kane and economics reporter Matt Lundy. They'll tell us why Canadian tech companies are struggling to compete for top talent and what that means for the future of tech innovation in Canada. This is The Decibel. Josh and Matt, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. So to start, Matt, how would you describe the state of tech sector jobs in Canada right now? Well, it's been explosive. There were a couple months at the start of the pandemic when things went down very slightly. But ever since that point, summer of 2020, it's just been off to the races. If you look at the past couple of years, um, things like computer systems design as the way that the government sort of categorizes it. That's up like 22% over the pandemic. That's around 60,000 jobs. That includes things like software developers, video game designers. If you look a little more broadly at STEM jobs, so that's science, technology, engineering, and math, we're talking like hundreds of thousands of jobs that have been added. And the thing is, those companies want more people as well. So Indeed Canada, which is a job search site, they've been tracking uh, technology jobs. And the sharpest job growth that they're seeing is for higher wage jobs. So those with annual salaries over $81,000 a year, that's where they're seeing the most growth. So there's a lot there's a lot of high paying jobs, which seems like a pretty good thing there. But Josh, you have reported that Canada's tech sector has a labor problem. So why are people not working at Canadian companies? You know, this has been an issue for quite a long time. I've been covering the sector for four or five years now, and this has been an ongoing theme. But During the pandemic, digital companies everywhere realized they could hire remotely and they just started competing for the best talent and salaries started shooting up. And these companies, you know, particularly large U.S. tech companies who are already being competitive, trying to hire the best engineers and developers and designers, they also have some of the world's biggest market capitalizations in history right now. And so they're able to actually throw this money around. What this does for Canadian companies, and you know, Canada has like, you know hundreds of really interesting mid-sized companies and smaller startups that are really trying to compete in the world, but they don't have all this revenue or this sort of money from investors that you know big U.S. Silicon Valley or probably West Coast uh, U.S. companies 
have. And so they're now starting to have to scramble to match. And, you know, in my conversations in the last six months with executives, just for, you know, everyday stories, they're raising salaries 25, 30, 40 percent in some cases just to be able to compete with the sort of the giants of the United States. One thing that I think is pretty important here as well is that when tech executives talk about a labor shortage or difficulty finding workers, we should distinguish between that and, say, restaurants, right? Like, this is a very different type of labor shortage. With something like hospitality, their employment is not back to pre-pandemic levels, right? A lot of the people that were in that industry have moved on, and they decided, eh, maybe we don't want to be in this industry anymore. Whereas in technology, that employment has gone up a lot, and now people are sort of, those companies are running up against what that sort of top-line growth is, that They have done a lot of hiring, but frankly, they've raised a bunch of money and they need to hire more and they need to justify the investments that people have made in them. And that's where they're coming into trouble. Matt, could you give us a sense of just the number of Canadian tech companies that are around and and how big are we talking? Like when we're talking about tech companies, are we talking about these really small startups or significant size companies? Yeah. So as of 2020, there were around 44,000 ICT companies as information and communications technologies. And the vast majority of them are, in fact, very small. So we're talking the majority being under 10 employees. And at the top end, you're only talking about 120 companies that had 500 plus employees. So it is very much skewed towards small and mid-sized companies, which you know really gets at the heart of the struggle here, which is that we're talking about largely tiny firms that, in a lot of cases, are going up against really big ones from the U.S. Josh, why does it matter if Canadian talent works for Canadian tech companies? Is, is that a big deal? So the real consequence here is that it could become increasingly hard to build a business if you can't afford a talent. You know, we're a country with a government that routinely talks about building another 10 or 100 Shopify's. But how is a company like that going to get off the ground as a young company if everyone who wants to work for them would rather work for a Silicon Valley company that lets them work from their couch for $200,000 a year at age 25? You know, this has consequences, you know, for you know, investors hoping for more exciting companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And, you know, given that some American giants have histories of extreme tax minimization, uh, you know, this could have consequences for government tax revenues in the future as well. But I mean, okay, so tax revenues is is a significant thing. But I guess for the average worker, like, isn't it isn't it a good thing if they're getting to work for a company that pays them more money and actually pays them a competitive wage? Oh, it's absolutely great. These are wages that are finally approaching the sort of significant levels that you're seeing in places like Silicon Valley and in New York. You know, people would often talk a lot about how Canada discounts its labor. And in fact, when when cities were clamoring a few years ago for uh, Amazon's second headquarters or HQ2, like some of the bids outright, including in Canada, basically said, listen, our labor here is cheap. And the people who are doing the labor are like, why are you bragging about that? We want this to happen. We want, you know, companies like Amazon to set up shop here so that we can get paid the way that Amazon famously pays its engineers in and around Seattle. And how much more could a tech worker make working for an American company like an Amazon as opposed to working for a Canadian tech company? In the U.S., there's another one of these job search sites called Hired. And last year, they came out with a report looking at tech salaries in a bunch of different markets across North America. 
Now, in the Bay Area, the average tech salary was like $165,000 US. Uh, typically in the US, it was well above $100,000, generally above $130,000, depending on the market. With Toronto, once you converted our salaries into US dollars, you're looking at the low 90s, about $93,000 a year, which, you know, for a lot of industries, that's huge money. But compared to the US, we're definitely a lot lower than what people get paid down there. Really interesting thing is that it's not even just competition between companies, but also just based on where you live for a single company. So just after we published this story, I heard of a remote Amazon worker. He lives on Vancouver Island. He makes $200,000 a year. He was offered $300,000 to join their Vancouver office but he was offered $550,000 US for the same role just to go to Seattle, not too far away. Hmm. So that really highlights just how much more money you can possibly make by going to the States. But at the same time, there is a cost savings there for American companies, which gives you an idea of why they're interested in Canada. So this news that that Meta is now hiring a bunch of people in Canada, help us understand how does that actually affect this issue with Canadian companies losing out on hiring talent with American companies coming in to hire people within Canada? So this is really interesting because right before the pandemic, so late 2019, early 2020, I was reporting on Amazon basically uh, buying up effectively a city block in downtown Vancouver a building that uh, at the time was believed to host as many as 10,000 people. And the number now seems closer to 6,000 from what I've been hearing. But basically Amazon saying, hey, we're going to hire 6,000 people and they're all going to work in downtown Vancouver. Uh, then Shopify almost immediately after that announced they were putting up an office in Vancouver. So if you're a startup and you've got, you're hoping to have 10 engineers try to build what you think is the next big product that the world might enjoy. If you're based in Vancouver, if you live there, you're in the city that you love and you're trying to hire engineers and you've got Amazon and Shopify competing with, you know, 6,000, say, on one end and maybe 1,000 on the other. And that's so 7,000 positions that are being filled like within a year or a few years. The ability for a startup to recruit even, say, 10 engineers and to be able to compete with that is going to be really difficult. They have to really convince these engineers you are building the next big product that's going to blow up to the next big Canadian company like a Shopify. Maybe let's just take a step back and, and actually talk about some of these these companies or address some of these companies that we're talking about. Josh, I think when a lot of people think of Canadian tech companies, we think of Shopify. That's that's the big success story that a lot of us remember. But what are some of the other tech companies that are in this space? Yeah, so there's uh, you know there's some really interesting companies like Constellation, OpenText, uh, Descartes, and in fact even BlackBerry is. You know, it still exists on the TSX. It's still sort of one of the larger technology companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange. But, you know, it's moved into sort of connected car technology and cybersecurity technology and things you don't necessarily interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's still sort of forming the backbones of things. It's a very clever business idea, but not necessarily something that if you are an 18-year-old who wants to get a job in the tech industry, 
that you're going to really gravitate to at your first thought because, you know, you've been growing up with all these really big named platforms. You know, University of Waterloo grads don't want to write insurance software. Um, hmm. One undergrad I spoke to uh, basically called a lot of the Canadian technology sector boomer tech companies. These are not necessarily hmm. things that are enticing to I th- sort of very sharp minded, you know, young people who are really trying to get into the sector. What about something like venture capital investment, though? We hear about that a lot for Silicon Valley. Are we seeing similar investments in Canada? So, yes, uh, Canada actually in, in 2021, it had its best year uh, since the dot com boom. If you adjust for inflation uh, in 2021, there was fourteen point seven billion dollars invested uh, into Canadian companies with venture capital. So these sort of, you know, small and midsize companies that are doing really, really innovative and sort of thoughtful things and sort of at the forefront of Canada's relationship with the internet. They're not publicly listed yet, but there's obviously a lot of attention on these Canadian companies. And what's really interesting and sort of one of the core tensions of that we were trying to get at in the story is, yes, this money can be used to pay for these increased salaries, but it's the money is also there because it's a bet on these startup companies. And so the startup companies now have increased pressure to perform, to you know, deliver revenue to deliver products that hopefully the investors hope will change the world. Are we seeing Canadian companies and innovators move to the States in order to try to make it? Like, are we seeing a kind of brain drain? Is that a way to phrase this as well, of people leaving Canada and going to the States? That's been going on for decades. You know, there's whole you know groups of individuals who celebrate their Canadianness in Silicon Valley. There's a group called the C100 that sort of allows it really sort of interesting Canadians who are working in the Valley to just network with other Canadians and work together. And that's not stopping. The fact that there's remote work means that we can technically have a brain drain without anyone getting on a plane. I apologize for the bad rhyme, but it's totally possible uh, now that with all this remote work that this is functionally a brain drain. It just doesn't look like what a brain drain used to look like. Another thing to consider as well is like, you know, Canada is not necessarily like the poor innocent victim in all of this either. Like we act as the U.S. as well in some ways, right? Like even prior to the pandemic, tech companies would often have a lot of contractors in other countries, in India, in Eastern Europe, uh, in Brazil. Uh, You might have your sort of core team of developers here, the more senior roles, but a lot of that sort of like grunt work and, and fixing bugs, that was done by cheaper labor elsewhere. So I think that's something to consider and keep an eye on going forward is the degree to which Canadian companies are outsourcing their work to other countries. And what role does government play in, in retaining Canadian talent? Uh, so you know, one economist we spoke to for this story uh, talked a lot about government supports to sort of offset salary costs as a possibility and to create more incentives for research and development. So to sort of help companies, encourage them to get into sort of figuring out products that they can then sell in the marketplace and sort of uh, this economist uh, sort of suggests, you know, if we could refocus tax credit programs, for example, uh, or launch the advanced research agency that uh, the liberals announced in the last federal election uh, and really push forward with things like that to, to, to encourage more workers to come to the, the sector and sort of have a little bit more financial safety for these companies in order to be able to do that. One way that the government does try to help out a little bit, and this is just a little more broad in general, is ramping up its intake of immigrants. If you look at the number of permanent residents just over the next three years that we're set to bring into Canada, it's something in the neighborhood of like 
1.3 million people, I think. And the Liberal Party has been pretty explicit on this, that this is partly aimed at easing labor shortages. Now, I think when they made their announcement, it was in something a little more, you know, either construction or services friendly, but certainly they're also looking at tech as, as an area here where more people coming into the country helps out those companies. What have tech workers told you then about what it would take to make them stay in Canada working for a Canadian company? Fairer pay, exciting ideas. They're definitely exciting ideas, but they're not necessarily as aligned with fairer pay because it depends how early stage the company is. It's a risk to jump to a young startup. And something as well that uh, Josh and I have come across quite a bit is that a lot of people do want to stay here. And a lot of them leave for several years and come back. Josh had this great anecdote about someone who wanted to buy real estate in Vancouver. It's so prohibitively expensive that they took a better paying job in New York so that they could save to buy a house in Vancouver. So there are people that want to stay, but the wages and the offers that they're getting aren't necessarily commensurate with their experience, their qualifications, and ultimately their life goals. That's such an interesting thing that in order to afford a house in Vancouver, you move away for a bit, make a little bit more money in the States, and then come back and can afford that house. That's such a, an interesting space that we're in. Yeah. And it's not even like in, in that case, that's someone who's going to New York City. It's not exactly a cheap place to go to to save money to buy a house elsewhere, right? Like it'd be one thing if someone was going to uh, Austin or Columbus, Ohio, or some of these other emerging tech hubs. But this is someone who is going to New York, one of the most expensive cities in the world, to save to buy a home in another most expensive city in the world. Josh and Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This is great. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Rose Danen is our intern. Ali Graham helped edit this episode. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>